FYI, this podcast contains spoilers. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 471 of the podcast that goes snicked. Snicked! I'm your host, Jason, and we are here mostly to talk about The End of Hellions. A book that we've talked about a little bit on the show, not not all the time. Um, we've talked about it some, and just wanted to kind of talk about the last chapter that came out, some of the things that that it does and what it points to and just kind of my overall feelings on the book since we didn't do an issue by issue synopsis here on the podcast I wanted to just kind of get my overall thoughts and feelings but in addition to that we'll cover a couple of other things so before we get to Hellions um, I want to talk about X-Men Legends number 9 and yeah we're just going to jump right into it Get right into swinging that tent, as they like to say on a comedy bang bang. <laughs> Get that content right in your ears, your faces, whatever. So X-Men Legends number nine. Some hammer time. Um, this is written, of course, by Larry Hammer. Uh, art by Billy Tan. Colors by Chris Sotomayor. Letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. And the cover is by Billy Tan and Chris Sotomayor and it's kind of an homage to the old famous Incredible Hulk cover by Tom McFarlane I don't remember exactly what number it is I should have looked that up it's 3 something 314 maybe let's see how smart I am let's pray to the gods of Google um, Incredible Hulk 314 no. <laughs> Way off. Oh my gosh. Um, let's try 344. No. Well, all right, that's closer. That's closer. Um, 27? <laughs> nope. <laughs> oh my god. What? Um, uh... <laughs> Let's do Incredible Hulk Wolverine <laughs> cover. <laughs> yeah, here we go. <laughs> what the hell number is this? Alright. Um, well, 340. I wasn't that far off. Alright. Give me a break, guys. Come on. <laughs> Don't cut me with your adamantium claws yet. Or your bone claws, as the case may be. Or your foot claws for those Dans out there in the world. Because that's his favorite. <laughs> If he listens to this, I'll get a hate tweet. Um, <laughs> so yeah, what was I talking about? Oh, the cover. <laughs> so an homage, of sorts to Incredible Hulk number 340 by Todd McFarlane, which has Wolverine, a close-up of Wolverine's face, and he's got his claws up in front of his face, and reflected in the adamantium of the claws are kind of a split three-way vision of the Hulk's very angry face at this time, the Grey Hulk, charging towards Wolverine. And there's been some different homages to this in the past. Um, I think famously, uh, McFarlane did another version of this uh, on Spawn. He had a, a period a few years ago where he did a bunch of covers for Spawn where he basically recreated some of his classic Marvel and DC covers 
but did it with Spawn. And in the Spawn one, he had the Violator, which, you know, short, angry dude like Wolverine. Um, and he had three knives in his hand, and in the knife blades reflected Spawn's uh, angry face. So, anyway, this is kind of like that. It's a close-up of Wolverine by Billy Tan, and he's got his claws up. And I love that Billy Tan does the really thin, like, bladed claws. If you've heard, I haven't talked about this in a while, but my claw preference is like the little kind of mini katanas or like the little the thin blades sharp blades uh probably most notably defined by mark silvestri um and then obviously lots of people after that but um that's my favorite kind of claw i don't i don't mind the more rounded claws or even sometimes a little bit of curve not too much because it doesn't make sense inside the forearm but um yeah my favorite are are the sharp knife-like blades and Billy Tan does, does those really nice. It looks really cool. Anyway, reflected in the three claws are the three villains of the piece that Hama has been revisiting. Uh, Lady Deathstrike, Omega Red, and Sabretooth. And it's a pretty it's a pretty great cover. So, in this story, basically what happens, remember you know, the gist of it, just, that's, not, that's not right, the gist, the gist of it, that Wolverine and Jubilee at some point in the 90s Wolverine run are doing a, a mission for Xavier trying to bust up some mutant, uh, basically human trafficking for mutant children. And we find out that Lady Deathstrike is working with one of the people in the hand to deliver these mutants. The original buyer was Omega Red, but there's some problems there. And then Sabretooth shows up with Birdie before she dies. Um... And also wants a piece of the action. He has a client that also wants these kids. And the two kids in question are these uh, mutant sisters from Asia. One of them has, like, pyrotechnic powers. And the other one has, like, teleportation powers. And so, you know, Wolverine and Jubilee have been fighting to get them back. Uh, where last we left off, uh, the deal went south with Omega Red. And then Sabretooth showed up. And we start off on a plane. And Bernie's flying the plane. And Sabretooth and Wolverine wake up in the back, and Jubilee's kind of trying to keep the peace. It says, hold on, and she explains how we got there. So at the dock in China, um, Bernie blasted Omega Red. Wolverine was already down for the count, and Sabretooth's trying to get in on the action, but some hand ninjas show up, these big guns. But Bernie's able to take them out. Uh, the hand leader basically pulls Lady Deathstrike away, says we got business to do. And... Um, and we do find out in this chapter, and one of the things I kind of was not as keen on was Lady Deathstrike being more of a pure villain. So Deathstrike you know, obviously has a, a super vendetta against Logan uh, because of, of family history and her feelings that Wolverine stole the adamantium from her dad or or has the last remnants of the adamantium process that her dad was working on. Um, so he always kind of played Deathstrike as... A little bit sympathetic, but not towards Wolverine. And then, of course, she falls in with the Reavers a little bit, so that's more of a straight bad guy, but even then, she kind of set herself apart from them a little bit. Was not always kind of as vile as them, except for to Wolverine. <laughs> and then, of course, you know, over the years, we've seen more sympathy. Even, even Larry Hammond gives her more kind of... A character development in the recent stories we covered with John Wilson. Um, in the flashback episodes where, with you know, with Adam Kubert and the Bone Claw entering the Bone Zone, um, how 
you know, when she realizes that that she can't get and regain the honor she was looking for, she kind of steps back and is not, you know, as as bad. So, anyway, when we find out all that to say, my kind of complaint was addressed. <laughs> so I'm assuming uh, Larry Hammond listened to my episode, got in the time machine, and went and rewrote. The, no, just kidding. Um, but no, we find out that the, the reason Lady Deathstrike is working with the hand and doing something as despicable as human trafficking is because the hand has. She's in the hand's debt. And they have the goods on her. Uh, she's trying to clear off some trouble and is doing this as a service to the hand to clear out some debt and some just kind of get back in the hand's good graces, she says. So anyway, uh, we find out that Birdie, you know, Sabretooth in that miniseries in the 90s kept talking about the glow, that Birdie gives him the glow and calms him down. And so she applies the glow to Sabretooth. Turns out it also works a little bit on Wolverine. And that's how she kind of got them to calm down and go to sleep to get on the plane. She kind of V.A. Baracus them. <laughs> Instead of, like, you know, giving them a knockout drug, she gave them the glow. Um, so anyway, then we find out that our, our sisters are together. Um, the pyrotechnic sister, I guess her power is muted by silver. So they have her, like, in the silver cage with silver, like, encasings around her hand. Um... And then, you know, they're holding the teleportation sister, basically saying, you know, if you teleport away, we'll just, you'll never see your sister again. And so she's kind of cooperating. And we find out that the uh, the other sister inside is uh, working her way out to scratch away just enough silver to be able to, to, to do this. So anyway, they're on a boat. And then, you know, our heroes, we already talked about, are on a plane. Then Omega Red also gets, like, a super helicopter from Russia. And he's flying. So everyone's kind of pursuing these kids. Um, And they're all going in the same direction, trying to get these kids. Omega Red crashes his helicopter into the boat, jumps down to fight Lady Deathstrike. Then Sabretooth jumps off of the plane into the boat. Wolverine, of course, says, well, I'm going too. And they jump down. And they fight. Jubilee's like, I'll stay here (laughs) on the plane. (laughs) So she and Bernie just kind of fly along with the boat. Our sisters get loose. Um, uh, one, the teleportation girl teleports Omega Red to this basically jungle country where Russia had done something really bad. It says, why don't you explain to them in Russia why you weren't part of that? And then leaves. And so you get the sense Omega Red is in for a bad, a bad time. And then we go back and our sisters teleport away. And then so Sabretooth is like, okay, well, I'm just going to leave. I can't get what I came for. I don't feel like fighting right now. Bird's got me under control. So they, they take off. And Wolverine and Jubilee are like, well, I guess we'll go tell the professor that the kids are safe. We're not bringing them home, but they seem to be safe. And then there's some, I guess, leading. So this this leader of the hand has been this widow. Um, and she's had, like, the, the black veil on her face, like, the whole time. Um... And she got hurt during this fight and says, well, I guess I'll need to start using a cane. And I'm trying to figure out if this is like foreshadowing, like in the origin of a character that I, I'm not sure of. Because here's the deal. We're at the place in the flashback episodes where I'm in, I'm in new reading territory. All of this, like, these issues for the rest of Hammer Time from the Bone Zone on will be new reading for me. First time I've read it. Um... So I don't know, I know there's a lot of characters we're going to meet that I haven't met yet. And unless they come back like a lot, 
I probably haven't seen him before in my reading. So I don't know if this is one of those characters, or if it's a character that's already been in the Hammer Run and I forgot <laughs> about him because they didn't make a big impression, or if it's really nothing. But I feel like the Kane line is like a definite, like, you should know who this is now. <laughs> and I just don't. <laughs> but maybe I'll find out. And maybe it'll be really cool as I go through the rest of the Wolverine reading uh, on the flashback episodes to find out, you know, who this person is. And what, now I know why they have a cane, if I didn't before. So, um, yeah, this issue. Um, you know, the writing is fine. It's, it's, it's fine. I haven't... And the issue is kind of fun, and it's fun to see, like, Wolverine take on human trafficking. But I don't know if that's really what happens here. It's not like he really busts up with this big trafficking ring. It's really focused on the two the two kids. And Wolverine just kind of stumbles through this story in a lot of ways. I know that's a weird thing to say. But, um, I don't know. I don't really... It's hard to tell, like, really where the direction of the action is going all the time. Um, it's kind of just like, oh, let's fight, and here's some more kids, and let's fight. Oh, we found where they are, let's fight. Um, it's not bad. It's fine. The art was a little rougher, this issue, than the first two. Kind of the art helped me kind of elevate and say, you know, well, eight and nine were, were pretty good stories. The art made them really good. And this one, the art doesn't do as good of a job. It's a little, it's a little rougher. It looks a little more rushed. Some of it is pretty good, but then some of it is not. Um, so, yeah, um, I don't know. It's fine. I mean, it's cool to see, like, Larry Hama on a book writing Wolverine and writing some of these classic bad guys, but I don't know if it, at the end of the story if it really felt like it did much to to really, like, be all that exciting. It's kind of like, oh, okay, cool. So I'm going to give X-Men Legends number 9 a 3 out of 6 claws. It was not bad by any stretch. Please don't. It just didn't... I don't know. I probably won't remember this in a couple years. Like if you ask me, hey, what happened in X-Men Legends in that, in that Wolverine Larry Hammer story? I'll be like, um, 90s still? <laughs> uh, I feel terrible. I shouldn't, shouldn't say that. But anyway, that's kind of where I am on that book. So, X-Men Legends number 9. The story overall was fine. I enjoyed the Billy Tan art for the most part. More so in 7 and 8. Um, but yeah. We'll, we'll see what X-Men Legends does next. It looks like the next one is a Sinister Story. Um, the Eighth Circle by uh, Fabian Nicieza and Dan Jurgen, Scott Hanna, Alex Sinclair. Uh, it looks like Jurgen's going to do some art. That could be cool. Um, oh, we'll see. Alright, so, where that brings us then is the conclusion of Hellions. Hellions number 18. Um, and let's get into that. So this is Goodbye, or The Losing End, written by Zeb Wells, uh, art by Zay Carlos and Steven Segovia, colors by Rain Moreto, letters and production by Ariana Mayer, Designed by Tom Mueller and the cover by Steven Segovia and Ray Moreto. And it's a pretty good cover. It's kind of all the Hellions like in manacles, like in the spotlight in the middle of a dark room, and then a bunch of thumbs down, like in the foreground. <laughs> Basically, the council, uh, the quiet council, uh, giving them thumbs down. It's a good cover. It's not the cover I got. I got the, uh, the Peach Momoko cover, which is awesome. Um, is the Goblin Queen 
in mostly white and black with her red hair and a red gem and she is standing in a circle of nastiness and there's like slime and bones and eyeballs and skulls and it looks really great like I said it's mostly black and white with just a few muted colors of like some purples and some greens and then her hair is like a striking bright red and then what I like about the costume is it's still kind of the classic Goblin Queen costume but Peach gives it some extra strapping so instead of just being like straight like male gaze under boob it's actually more just a tattered costume and there's some like strapping that goes kind of under the breast to fill the costume out a little bit um, I don't know I thought it was an improvement people may or may not agree and that's fine um, but it's just a really it's a really nice cover it was really good really striking um, very evocative and emotive and I just I really enjoyed it so that's the one I grabbed so there's kind of a lot happens in the story so I know we haven't talked about it in a couple issues we talked about 16 because uh, Laura Wolverine was in there and she's in here again so it gives me an excuse to talk about this book a little bit but remember um, so Havoc accidentally blew up like this or was made to accidentally blow up like this lab of sinisters um, and they had to be collected and we find out you know that uh, empath is working with Emma to kind of infiltrate the hellions and keep tabs on them and and kind of subvert uh, Alex's I guess healing from still from all the axis crap which is unfortunate that we're still having fallout from that but whatever um, but then to make matters worse so that little in the last issue, that little baby AI that Nanny stole from the right is really cute. Had like the kind of the right smiley face, but in a cute way. Anyway, it evolved to to try to kill all the, the mutants, and Nanny got really hurt. But then also, when when Peter Orphan Maker tried to help, she got really mad and, and kind of even in spite of what was going on, chose the the baby as kind of being more important than Peter which made him really distraught and upset and he had went to fight the right but they were on they were in this base like in Arizona somewhere in the southwest I forget exactly where um and he ended up getting caught after he like kind of butchered the right team he was walking out of the base and was a affronted by some sheriffs and he was having none of it and he slaughtered them as well and kind of almost immediately felt remorse but now we're, we're dealing with the outcome of that and specifically how that applies to the Krakoan law of not killing humans you know we had Sabretooth thrown in the pit at the very beginning of Hoxpox and then you know reading the X-Men Infinity comics on Marvel Unlimited we just had that story where Nature Girl and Curse got thrown in the pit for killing some humans in their ecological revenge porn um, and then so we know we get the feeling right that that's where where Peter's headed so we start off this issue um, with the quiet council and what's really funny I think in, in an obvious attempt to overcome or overshadow his own involvement and in kind of dark dealings Mr. Central's like all right let's get this done let's throw him in the pit I didn't cape up for nothing. <laughs> He's got his big old cape on. And Zeb Wells continues to write just a nice, kind of funny, wacky, sinister. Um, Nightcrawler's kind of the voice of reason. Like, hey, are we 
Are we sure we want to do this to a child? Are there no exceptions? And and the other counselor talking about how, well, yes, he is stunted, that he is physiologically not a child, he's an adult, which, I don't know, they don't, they kind of address it in a cool way without being, like, making it the whole crux of the story, but it's a part of the complexity of the story, is how do you, how do you, in criminal processes, try people who are adults physically, but maybe not mentally or emotionally? What, what kind of, um, I can't think of the word, uh, how should that be addressed? What kind of concessions should be made? The word I'm looking for. And, and Nightcrawler definitely is the voice of compassion, which is awesome. Um, so our Hellions come up, and of course it's a wild child, orphan maker, uh, Psylocke, uh, Grey Crow, and Havoc, uh, because Nanny was killed and not on that mission in question. And we go back just a little bit earlier, one of the X-Men team, of course including Wolverine, Laura, I hate that I have to keep specifying that, <laughs> but as long as we have two Wolverines, I guess I do. Um, and they went to collect the Hellions, and they want Orphan Maker, and Psylocke is like, no, I don't think so. And Grey Crow um, punches Cyclops in the face. <laughs> They're defending their teammate. Uh, Laura pops her claws, and Wild Child jumps in, and there's some fighting. Um... But then they stop fighting all of a sudden, and Gene's like, I didn't do that, and Empath's like, I did. So Empath has calmed his former teammates down, and we find out he's been working with Emma the whole time. Um, and so we get back to the trial of the council, and, you know, Sinister continues to just really go over the top and say, um, throw the whole team in! And Magneto's like, well, wait a second, only really Orphan Maker is on trial for the pit, like, there may be some punishment for the rest of the team, but we can't throw them all in the pit, and Sinister's like, why not? They're all shackled and ready to go, and then Psylocke is not in shackles, and she punches Psylocke, and, um, Xavier's like, wait, hold on, and Storm's like, no, 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 let her have one more, and Exodus agrees, so Sinister's like, what? <laughs> and then Psylocke, uh, kicks him in the face. <laughs> So Sinister's like, what? An attack on me is an attack on Krakoa. I'm part of the council, blah, blah, blah. But no one really cares. Um, but then they talk, and Xavier Magneto basically say, oh, and then Sinister gets muzzled, which is funny. Uh, it looks very similar to the muzzle that uh, Sabretooth had that we're talking about currently in the flashback episodes where he lived at the mansion. Um, Magneto and Xavier are basically like, well, we, we have to follow the law. A nation without laws is not a nation at all. And, you know, we're going to break up the team, and then Orphan Maker is going to go in the pit. And Storm reluctantly agrees, and Emma agrees. The Nightcrawler says, hold on, guys. Not only do we need to maybe make concessions for, for Orphan Maker and his development, well, this team is important to Krakoa. It shows, you know, we, we talk this talk that all mutants are welcome, regardless of their past, and even regardless of their present, right? That, you know, obviously we want them to play by the rules, but everyone can get second chances, and is kind of bothered by what they're going to do. And, you know, it's funny, he says, as it said, those whose violence you don't understand have often seen horrors you cannot imagine. And Mystique's like, said by who? And Nightcrawler's like, okay, that was me. 
<laughs> Tony quotes himself, which is funny. Um, and I just, I really love Nightcrawler the way he's written here. He's like, as a member of this council, I'm advocating for compassion. Please don't do this. But the Magneto and Xavier overrule him. Uh, Grey Crow gets mad again. Uh, says he's just a boy. I'm going to burn this place to the ground. Psylocke tries to calm him down. Uh, the, the tentacles from the pit start to wrap Peter up. And then um, Nanny shows up and basically says, you know, he's not going by himself. I'm his nanny. I I know some of this is my fault, but I'm, I'm not going to abandon him to the darkness again. And they kind of argue about whether she can go or not, which is kind of weird. But, um, but she basically says, if you won't let me go, then I'll kill however many humans it takes for you to throw me in there with them. And they're like, uh, well, that's probably not a good idea, so I guess we will um, let, let, let her do that. So they go into the pit together, and it's really, really a powerful scene, and this is a very sad scene. Because there's been, like, the stress in the relationship where she's, she's a nanny and protective in some good ways, but also borderline abusive in some other ways. But for her, at the end after she's been resurrected now to to say, I'm not going to let him do this by himself. I don't know, there's something that's really, really powerful there. And the rest of the Hellions are all super sad. Even the council looks very uneasy. Um, but they do let the rest of the Hellions go. And, you know, Havoc talks about how, you know, he does have a bond with the team if they ever need his help to let him know. And then Grey Crow kind of says, you know what? I'm not sure I fit here anymore. Maybe I'm going to go do something else. Um, then Empath goes back to the original Hellions. And they're all mad at him, but then he makes them like him again with his powers. And Grey Crow is going to shoot him. <laughs> Empath. He, he promised him he would, but Psylocke, uh, Quanone, stops him and says, do it for me. And we know that Grey Crow's had a big crush on her, and she hasn't exactly rebuked him. It hasn't really confirmed any mutual feelings to this point and she kind of says do this for me and they, they hold hands for a second and you know we saw them hold hands of what issue was that Marauders no Excalibur yes Excalibur uh, they were in the, the Green Lagoon on a date it looked like so that was cool and I, that's that's a relationship I'm looking to hopefully see more of in another book somewhere maybe um and we go to the healing gardens, and basically Cecilia Reyes is talking to Wild Child, and you know, kind of circles back to the origin of the series where he was taking his medicine but not really taking it, and he would like not swallow it and then spit it out to calm him down. But now he just looks so defeated, and she's like, "I know you're not going to take this, so if you just want to go back to your room, it's fine." But he grabs it and he swallows it, and he swallows it down real, and he just goes and lays down in the fetal position, and it's a super sad scene. <laughs> like he's just given up. Randy's lost hope. Um, you know, it's just, man, this, this one gets you. And then Cyclops is talking to his brother and basically says, um, you know, we pulled some strings, more specifically, Emma pulled some strings because I'm not really comfortable with it. And Maddie is back. And so Havoc runs and gives Maddie a big hug. And in the mirror, we see the Goblin Queen. So right now she's in her just classic uh, Outback uh, era green jumpsuit. But in the mirror, we see the Goblin Queen, and we know something's coming. 
And then uh, later, Magneto and Emma talk about how much trouble Sinister is going to be. And then the last scene is Psylocke and Grey Crow on the beach with the sunset. Definitely like having an emotional moment and a very quiet moment. Even the last page, there's no dialogue. It's just them. And hint, big kudos to Segovia for selling this all through body language and facial expression. This, this scene sells. It really does. It's really strong, really good. Um, then kind of gets the impression they're both going to leave. Now I know, or I'm pretty sure I know, based on teaser art and stuff, that uh, Psylocke's going to be in the new Marauders lineup. I'm hoping, if not an actual team member, at least as supporting cast, then we get more Grey Crow. I've really come to like him in this series. Um, so I hope we're not done with him in the X-Universe right now. Um, so yeah, this this story was super like emotional. <laughs> it really got, got me in the feels, and this book really stuck the landing. So I know the art was split up, and Segovia, who has been the main artist on this book, did not do as many of the pages this time around. But it's pretty good continuity visually. Um, and they both, both he and uh, Zay Carlos, look really nice. Like, it's just good art. Big props to Ray Moreno on the colors. He's a great colorist and helps tie this all together. The writing's really good. So, Hellions as a whole. It's been a series that I have enjoyed some parts, really loved a couple of parts, and then kind of lost interest in a couple of parts. Um, and I, I, I kind of feel like I straddle two camps, uh, both of which you know have people that I love. So you have, on one hand, the House of X guys, when Hellions is one of their favorite books. By the way, if you're not listening to House of X, go do it. And specifically, they have an episode where they interview Zeb Wells, which is a great episode. He's he's hilarious and charming, and, and that was it was a really good episode, a really good interview. So definitely go check that one out specifically. But just House of X in general is a great podcast you should listen to. And Hellions was consistently one of their favorite books, especially Dylan's, if I remember right. I hope we're not mixing that up. <laughs> but um, but yeah, so they love the book and thought it was hilarious and uh, emotionally impactful pretty much issue in and issue out for the most part. And so, you know, they gave it really high markings all the time. And then, of course, you get Scalabros, who I also love just as much. They're my two of my best friends. And, um, you know, they did not really like this book much at all for the most part. They had a couple issues that we talked about with them that were maybe a little better. Some of the, like, event tie-ins and stuff they enjoyed. But for the most part, we're not big fans of Hellions. Didn't really think the humor landed all the time and, you know, weren't as interested in the character arcs and the writing there. And so, and for that, that's kind of one of the reasons we haven't talked about the book as much because I'm not going to force people to read things they don't really like unless I'm also loving it since I was kind of on the fence. Um, so, so yeah, the, and by the way, also, please go listen to Excalibros because it's a great show. So, two very valid opinions of the book on opposite extremes, right? And I think if you look at, like, X Twitter, you get that, right? There's people that really, really love this book and people that, that kind of really dislike this book. And I'm right kind of smack in the middle. I thought it was a pretty good book that was up and down. Um, there were, I thought, and I thought a lot of that is because, for me, the humor was up and down. There were some issues where the humor worked really well. It was hilarious. I laughed out loud while I was reading it. 
There were some issues where the humor for me fell a little flat. It didn't tickle my particular funny bone. And I didn't like it as much. And as far as the character development and stuff, um, kind of just found the different plots up and down. Like, for example, the most recent, before this last arc, we had that arc with uh, Tarn the Uncaring, which I didn't really think was that good. Um, but then, like, you had the Tenosaurus tie-in, which I thought was great. So, I mean, to me, the book was very up and down. But at the end of it, Man, they stick this landing. And big ups to um, Zeb Wells um, for just really bringing this one home with not as much comedy. This one is more, a lot more serious. There's there's a couple of light moments. But it just, this one just, it lands with a punch. And you get the feeling, you see some of the hypocrisy in Krakoa, uh with a book like this. And I think that's you know, kind of maybe part of his mission. And so it really lands that. Um, and you just see kind of what happens when this team is ultimately not allowed to be who they are. Um, and that to me is like just a really strong character case for, you know, kind of what happens sometimes in these situations and kind of the outcome of, you know, when you, you give these characters this hope, right? This team has this hope of being able to have a redemptive arc. When they don't play exactly by the rules or the first kind of... Well, I guess I guess maybe it's not fair to say the first time something goes wrong because that was not not necessarily the case. But then you also, though, find out, like, with Emma and stuff, and... and so between Emma's kind of maybe more positive... Or I was not positive. We'll say well-intentioned manipulation. And the Sinister's not well-intentioned manipulation. Like, this team never had a chance. And... I don't know, just playing with that and playing in that kind of aura of here's a team of outcast. You give them this false sense of you have a purpose and a mission and we're going to rip that out from under you every chance we get. So you're still outcast even in this utopia even though you're promised not to be. Like, There's a lot, I think, to say there. And I think for the most part, the book hits that when it hits on all cylinders, it hits that really well. And this last issue does that. So anyway, I mean, this is definitely obviously the book I wanted to talk about the most <laughs> this week. I would really love, uh, now that it's over, to hear everyone's thoughts on it. Um, whether you're kind of Team House of X or Team Excalibur or, or somewhere in the middle with me. Uh, love to hear what you thought about this book overall. Um, you know, what characters you hope to see land somewhere else. Um... And then, I'm really curious, now that we have Maddie back, what's that going to lead into? I don't know if she'll kind of show up at the end of Inferno and this all ties into that, or if this all goes way past that into next year. I'm not sure. Um, but definitely curious, because we know it's not going to be all all sunshine and rainbows. <laughs> we know that, for damn sure. So, we'll see what they decide to do. But I'm going to give Hellions number 18 six out of six claws. I liked it that much and it impacted me emotionally that much. Um, so yeah, fantastic issue. Um, very definition to sticking the landing. And so yeah, that's that. So I know it's going to be a little bit shorter episode because that's really, that's really the main book I wanted to talk about. And I feel like I did an appropriate amount of time on it. Uh, kind of maybe shortchanged X-Men Legends a little bit. So if you really enjoyed that, I'm sorry. Um, and now I'm going to give just a very short coverage to a very long comic. 
Um, and that is Avengers 50 slash 750. Uh, written by Jason Aaron with art by Aaron Cooter, Carlos Pacheco, Ed McGinnis, and Javier Garon. Uh, inked by Aaron Cooter, Rafael Fonterez, Ed McGinnis, and Javier Garon. Colors by Alex Sinclair, David Curiel, Matt Hollingsworth, and Rochelle Rosenberg. And then there's a, some, a pinup by David Baldion. And a special story they say by Christopher Rocio and Steve McNiven and Frank Diamarda. Um, the cover, I'm pretty sure, is McGinnis. Let me get back to it. And it is almost a, I don't know, a winter, a Game of Thrones version of Doctor Doom. He's got a big winter coat with fur collar, and he's got um, mummy wrappings on his hands with these gold rings and stuff. And then floating around him are floating heads of the Avengers. Captain America, Iron Man, She-Hulk, Thor, Captain Marvel, Ghost Rider, and Black Panther. And there's a lot that happens in this issue. Some of it's kind of cool, some of it's not. Um, now I've been not very high on the Jason Aaron Avengers run in general. As much as I like Jason Aaron overall, his Avengers, I've said multiple times, won't belabor it. just feels like him just kind of smashing action figures together. Um... I don't know. I think maybe some of this works a little better actually drawing some of that stuff together. But we start off with this couple and it's the orb. Remember the guy with the big eyeball head? He has the watcher's eye that he got from uh, Original Sin. And he's kind of on a mission to do something. And then, you know, the dialogue is probably the key part of this where we see that with his eyes, he, he sees more than just like extra vision. He can like see body language and kind of use that to see the future and stuff like that. Then we have um, Kazar. He's been sent back in time to discover the original Avengers, the 1 million BC Avengers, but Kid Thanos has followed him. And so they fight, and then uh, the original Avengers show up. They're going to protect the world as well. Um, and then we have kind of the wrap-up of like the... World War She-Hulk story where she was in the Red Room and she sacrificed herself and really the gist of that is she is able to expunge this, all this gamma radiation she absorbed in Atlantis to also cure or fix the Celestial that they have their base in or whatever. Then she comes out of all that as normal She-Hulk instead of like the big monster She-Hulk. She is back to super sexy She-Hulk and rejoins the Avengers as more more whole, I guess you would say. Then, um, you know, our 1 million BC Avengers continue to fight Kid Thanos. Mephisto, as the literal snake in the garden, approaches a virgin of Doctor Doom, and they hatch this plan to have a multiversal, um, what is it? Oh, not Alliance of Evil. Masters of Evil? No, I don't remember. Yeah, anyway, Kazar is trapped in time with some time missiles from uh, a version of Howard Stark. And then we find out that Ghost Rider is worried about what's going to happen to him if he dies. And all the Avengers promise to take care of his little brother. But he's having control, having trouble controlling his powers. And then She-Hulk uh, finds Namor, who's very contrite. And she convinces him to join the Avengers. And the Squadron Supreme find out the Red Widow has Hyperion and they attack him or attack them and then decide to team up together. Um, then all the Deathlocks start showing up and recruiting people. 
Um, and really, I mean, just a lot of stuff here. Um, we get some backstory to some of the characters, how they got where they are. Kazar becomes the herald for a Galactus. And I have to say A, because all these versions are different, like multiversal versions. Anyway, part of uh, this Doctor Doom's team is um, a character who has collected a very feral version of Wolverine. They actually have a name. It is Masters of Evil. Sorry, I was right. They call the Wolverine the Berserker, but it's a silver, not a silver phoenix, but um, oh, Dark Phoenix and her pet Berserker. So we have a a Wolverine type character that's part of this multiversal Masters of Evil. Um, so the Deathlocks are trying to recruit heroes and spread the message of the Masters of Evil coming. They're basically just taking over Earth after Earth after Earth and recasting it in their image, but Mephisto made them promise the 616 Earth for last. And they're going to break that promise because all the Deathlocks are going there and they're hunting Deathlocks. Uh, Ghost Rider takes the Deathlock to Earth 818. He's tracking down other Ghost Riders who have died on other Earths, and that's going to kick off that Avengers Forever story. Um, and then, yeah, the Masters of Evil are able to kill the orb, so we can't tell Mephisto that they're here on Earth 616. They approach the Avengers base, and then um, we get the next story, which is Thor saving a kid from the brood in the past. And it's okay, I don't know if it was really a special story, but whatever. So, yeah, I just wanted to mention it barely because we do have the alternate version of Wolverine, like we had in the free comic book day issue. You know, actually, I feel like Aaron does an okay job of kind of tying all these kind of quote-unquote crazy ideas. I, I almost get the feeling that he sits at his desk and wouldn't it be crazy if, you know, She-Hulk drove a Ghost Rider spaceship or whatever. You know, some of the stuff he's done has just been like kind of off-the-wall action figure smashing. I kind of feel like he's like taking all those kind of crazy ideas and tying them now into the story. And some of it works, some of it doesn't. Um, of course, really good artists on this book, different different artists that are all really strong, so the art's pretty good throughout. Um, but I would give Avengers 50 slash 750, you know, three out of six claws. Some of it really works, some of it doesn't. It could have been maybe condensed or edited, but I know they wanted to get that giant issue out so you could all spend your big bucks on it. <laughs> um, yeah, so yeah, it, it was it was fine. Well, I'm I'll I'll probably keep tabs on it going forward. May cover it here and there on the podcast depending on what that little Wolverine character does. But um, yeah, it's not a rush out and buy, but it's not bad. I would say, however much you've been enjoying Jason Aaron's Avengers, you'll probably enjoy this about the same amount, maybe a little bit more. So. You can use that as a barometer to decide whether you want to spend like what I think it was like ten bucks on this thing. Um, so yeah, <laughs> make make your decision wisely, spend your cash wisely. But um, that's gonna do it. I need to kind of bounce because my throat and nose are both starting to hurt really bad. They weren't really hurting when I started this, and they are starting to hurt pretty bad. So I'm going to knock this episode off right here. Um, hopefully next, if everything works out, uh, we'll have our next episode with the Excalibros. So, yeah. Hopefully that'll happen. <laughs> as scheduled. 
you know, as I mentioned before, stuff's pretty helter-skelter right now between holidays and busy season at work and trying to get the house ready for what we're doing to the house. Um, it's pretty nuts, though, but I'm going to do my best to keep content as regular as possible. You know, even if some of the episodes are a little bit shorter. Though I went longer on this one than I thought I would. I thought it would be like 30 minutes. It's going to be a solid at least 40, maybe 45, depending on how much I edit out. Um, but yeah, hopefully you're enjoying it. And like I said, I'll be as regular as possible. I'll take as much podcast fiber as I can. <laughs> Gross. Gross. Why would you say that? Um, anyway, uh, for the podcast that goes snicked, you can like the Facebook page. Twitter is at snickcast. Show notes and stuff for snickcast.podbean.com. Again, go listen to House of X and Excaliburos. And also, why I got you, go listen to um, Resurrections and Adam Warlock podcast and Homo Superior and our wonderful friend Grant's podcast, uh, Truth, Justice, and Hope, a Superman podcast. And uh, John Wilson, who I mentioned, also has a new Superman show coming out soon. And we'll definitely plug that the next time he's on, so we should be pretty close to his release date for that by then. Um, but yeah, hope everyone is well. Hope everyone has a good holidays in whatever way you celebrate. And we'll all talk again soon. So stay safe and well out there. Until next time, hugs and snicks. Bye-bye. And snacked.